You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, it's Jean Chatsky. We did a little research in preparation for this segment, and we know there are 10 million single moms in the United States, and they are on track to become the majority of mothers, with 57% of millennial mothers being unmarried. Women are continuing to rewrite the rules when it comes to motherhood, and it calls for some new financial ones, which is why we're so excited to be in the studio with Emma Johnson. She is an award-winning business and personal finance journalist. She's founder of the world's largest platform for single mothers. It's called WealthySingleMommy.com. She's a fellow podcaster as well, and she is here today because she's got a brand new book. It's called The Kick-Ass Single Mom, Be Financially Independent, Discover Your Sexiest Self, and Raise Fabulous, Happy Children. Sounds like a recipe for success to me, Emma. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jean. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. Now, is this the first book? It is my first book. Oh, my gosh. How did you emerge from book hell? <laughs> it was tough. It was tough, but satisfying. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> it, I, we call it book hell for a reason. Joy Bauer, my friend on the Today Show, and, and Jill Martin and I, we joke about book hell because you get into this phase where mm. you can't read your own book one more time, and yet you have to actually read it about five more times to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and that you got it all right. And you got to put blinders on because you have to focus and concentrate. And it's really, really hard. It is. It's hard. And I'm a professional. Writer. I've been writing in my own home office for a long time. So it was very satisfying to collaborate with other adults to kind of elevate what I was doing. So I found that really great. You have been blogging for a long time. How long has Wealthy Single Mommy been around? It's been five years and it is now my full-time job. This is what I do is I uh, speak to and advocate for single moms. As you said, we are going to be the majority of families in our lifetime, which is remarkable. So what happened in your life that led to being a single mommy first and then a wealthy single mommy? Well, I mean, I, I want to dial this back to my own childhood. So I was raised by a single mom, a professional woman. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was very young. And it's so interesting. When I was writing my book, this memory came back to me that I had forgotten that some years ago, when I, I was married, but I was not even a mom yet. I wasn't pregnant. I was thinking about becoming a mother. And I had a book idea about single motherhood. Isn't that so interesting? That is really it is weird. So it's weird. like it's like you had a premonition. It was like this is what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. And it, I took this idea to a book workshop. It was like a one day thing about sussing out your idea for a book. And at the time, my paradigm was like I was just very curious about this divorce surge of the 70s and 80s, of which I am a product, and millions of my peers are, and just curious about how this played out into our life decisions and the partners that we were choosing and how we were structuring our families and women and work and money and all these things I was very passionate about. 
So, of course, like we all do, I swore I was going to do better than my parents and not be a single mom, God forbid. And then I became a single mom, right? <laughs> yeah, all good intentions. The road, what is it? The road to hell is paid with good exactly. intentions. So, yeah, I did. I went through a divorce. I had, um, my, my divorce story is both unique and, and not so unique. I married a really nice guy and we, he was from a divorced single mom family and we swore we we're going to do everything different and had a nice home and all the investments and we both had the careers and there was a, a tragedy and he had a an accident and suffered a, a brain injury, oh. which really unraveled our lives in a mega way and quickly led to a divorce. Um, and so in one way, that's obviously a very rare story, but it's I've come to find that people's stories, are they're all different, but there's unique threads. You know, you never know what's going to happen. One, tragedy can happen at any time, and also that you can thrive despite all odds. And I have been so touched and inspired by the stories of so many women who have come through such incredible hardships to not just survive, you know, not just to stay off the streets, but really build incredible lives for their families. Well, it was not an easy road that you had to travel. I mean, I know that you were, you had a toddler. You were pregnant, you were broke, and your life essentially crumbled. It did. And, um, you know, there's that bag lady syndrome that you worry that you're going to be homeless. That's, I think it's almost half of all women, including professional women, fear of being, I mean, I would stay up at night with my toddler in the bed with me and my baby basically like sleeping on my chest. And I would think, okay, we're going to have to live out of my 1999 red Subaru station wagon. Like that's just, that's going to have to happen because I was hardly working when everything fell apart. My ex made all the money and all the benefits and he just, he left and he, he wasn't part of our lives. And, you know, I had this moment when my son was born and I couldn't even carry him because I had had a C-section. Like I literally couldn't lift oh, him. My God. And I didn't have, I didn't have the, the, the luxurious old Subaru yet because I was that broke. And my friend drove me to family court to apply for child support. And I just sat in that room and, you know, it all came back. Those childhood memories are for real. And I remember how I was always so humiliated by the fact that we were always on public assistance growing up and how I just always felt like our lives could have been different. And I was just the stress that poverty creates in a home, even you know, people have the best of intentions and so many emotional resources. Not having money creates stress and it limits your ideas about what is capable, what you are capable of in the world. But clearly you got over that. I did. Right. I mean, clearly, yes, I agree with you. That sort of stress, it shuts your mind down for a little while. You start to think that your options are very finite because the situation around you is just so hard to maneuver day to day. And, you know, I've been through a divorce myself, as you know, and as our listeners know, I was fortunate to come through it not broke, but with an income that I could depend on. And actually, I think I didn't get divorced until I knew I had that mm -hmm. income to depend on, not to get on the couch here and tell you, you know. Yeah, but that's I, real. That was a big fear for me. So I think I waited. But you overcame it. So how did you overcome those bag lady fears, for lack of a better word, and get 
on the road to earning enough of a living for your family. Right. So it was that moment in that family court waiting room. And it looks like it's just, I looked around and there's all these women in there that were in the exact same position. They had babies that they were afraid of not supporting and they were trying to figure it out. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to be here. Like I belong here just like all these other women, but I started counting my blessings. It really was an act of gratitude that got me unstuck. And I started to think I have an education. I have a resume. I know a lot of people. I have marketable skills. I have hustle. I have people who believe in me. And this is remarkable. And I look around in the time that I'm living in, which is very different than the time even one generation ago when my mom was in the same position in family court Mm -hmm. looking for child support. Women have incredible opportunities today to earn, and we are. We are kicking so much ass in the world. And so, you know what? I got that child support for about a year until it wasn't available to me anymore, and I knew that. Like, I knew that I was going to have to do this on my own because of the nature of my family situation. And so I just... I got really serious about it. And my kids could not have been younger. They were being born and a toddler. And I wanted to spend a lot of time with them. I love, now that my kids are older, I can tell you that I like that time of parenting best. (laughs) 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 I hope they don't listen. Um, And I just loved that You mean the time when they do what you say? Yeah, when they don't talk back. And they're so cuddly. And you can get a puppy. <laughs> no. Are you crazy? <laughs> then they would win. <laughs> but I just got very systematic about it. So I was very um, exacting on myself when it came to time. I have like an equation in my book, The Kick-Ass Single Mom, and it is time, money, and energy, right? It is not just time versus money. You have to think about the energy you're spending and the headspace. So I, even though I was broke, I started outsourcing things. Like I hired my house cleaner. I stopped doing laundry because laundry is not just the time that you're spending doing the laundry. The laundry is thinking about doing laundry all the time, and it is endless and relentless. So I just saw that if I was going to scale this little family operation that I was going, I had to get really serious about it. Like if my kids needed to be in daycare, I didn't pretend like I'm going to be a full-time stay-at-home mom and earn a living. You can't do that. I let go of that. I was just committed to making a lot of money. So hired all the childcare I needed. When I looked for a daycare center, I hired, I got the one across the street from my apartment, even though it was more expensive because it was across the street. You did something really interesting. You operated from a position of confidence. Mm-hmm. You Something in your mind said to you, I can do this and I'm going to spend what I need to spend in order to make it possible for me to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's very interesting. I think there are a lot of people who would say, I have to do the laundry because otherwise it's going to cost $30 a week for somebody else to do it. I have to clean the apartment. I have to pick the cheaper daycare and spend 30 minutes driving back and forth. So was it some sort of inner strength? I mean, what was it that allowed you to believe that you could make more than you needed to pay for all of these things? Um, I think early in my life, I started to think consciously about risk. Risk is risk. You know, you might fail. You might spend more that month on outsourcing the child care and the house cleaning and the laundry, but the upside of risk is nearly almost always positive. 
And that is on every level. Like you love is risk, you know, like I'm taking a lot of risk. I'm in a romantic relationship now and it is hard because I could get my heart broken. But the upside of that is that I can be in love with a wonderful man. And it's the same with money. You have to risk. You have to risk paying somebody a few, literally, ladies, listen to me, a few <laughs> extra bucks to not do your laundry. But you know what? The thing with the laundry, it's not just the dollars. It's one of my top 10 blog, most, I have like a thousand, literally a thousand blog posts, posts on wealthy single on mommy. On wealthy did. single mommy. And of the top 10, one of them is you are stupid if you do your own laundry. Okay. It's provocative, whatever. Bear with me. And I just lay out like it, all these things that we're talking about, about how if you could take that time instead of doing the laundry and invest it in your career or invest in a hobby or your fitness or whatever. And you cannot believe how emotionally invested women are in housework. And this goes into a whole nother philosophy that it's not even a philosophy. We are so committed in our culture to this idea that the stay-at-home mom slash wife is the better mom. And there is so much research, scientific, peer-reviewed research to the contrary, that serves no one. It puts women at financial risk. It puts them at risk for abuse. You are guaranteed to be basically poor in life if you do not have your own money. And children do not benefit when mothers are staying home full time. Children benefit when their mothers are working and earning. Take a step back there. Because what you just said, that is a lot. It is really provocative. It is, I think, going to anger a lot of people. Well, And let's discuss, Yes, because I know a lot of fabulous mothers who made the choice to stay home with their children. They could afford to make the choice to stay home with their children. Some fabulous fathers made the choice to stay home with their children. I never did it because it wasn't in me. You know, when I looked inside of me, I really wanted to go to work, and I was happy when I got to the point at which I knew I was going to be getting divorced that I had not let my income earning potential slide. But I think that's a difference from saying children are better off when their mothers no, stay home. There's no research to support that children are better off, zero. So we know that— But, uh, but is there research to support— yes that children are better off when their mothers work. Yeah, so there was a Harvard study, and we will we can point to this in the links. So it was Kathleen McGinn. A couple of years ago, she looked at 25 countries around the world. Universally, girls who were raised by mothers who worked professionally outside the home fared better academically and then held higher positions in management and earned more later in life. Uh, boys who were raised by moms who worked outside the home fared just as well as their stay-at-home mom peers. And they also, though, the boys grew up to be more caring for people in the house, both as children and adult men. So that's young children or older people in the home. And the happy factor, however they calculated happy factor for both groups, was equal. So do you basically advocate that all women should work? Yes. And I appreciate that maternal and paternal leave. We have a ton of work to do in this country and allowing moms and babies to bond. And I'm super pro-nursing and all of these things. But we have to get away. Really, 40%, we found 40%, this is pure statistic, 40% of Americans believe it harms children when their mothers work outside the home. Well, I don't agree with that. 
I mean, I don't agree. It doesn't matter what our opinions are. We can argue that it doesn't matter what our opinions are because the science, we're going to science and science shows that after age two, it doesn't matter how many hours parents, mothers or fathers spend with their kids. What does matter, as we found, is their uh, professional status and income. Are th- and I appreciate that that research is new. So we're asking a lot of women and our culture overall to completely recalibrate its paradigm. So if we have been raised, and I know I have struggled through this too. I'm being so sanctimonious here, but I was basically a stay-at-home mom when my marriage fell apart and I was facing zero income. So I was working like 12 hours a week. I mean, my income was so nominal. It was, it was like a joke. And I bought it. I struggled with it, but I like I when women like we assume that that is better, that more hours with our kids is better. That is what our culture tells us. Maybe that's what our partners are telling us. That is the norm. And like if I just woke up, I'm like, you know what? Exercise is actually bad for you. That would make your mind melt. Like I'm asking women (laughs) to challenge it. And this research that I'm spouting off is literally within the last five years. So we have a lot of catching up to do. So when women are making a choice it's a choice based on information that maybe wasn't there yet. And the idea, but let's think about this. Why are we choosing not to have our own income? Why are we, why is it a legitimate choice not to have our own earning potential? Because that's just not good for any family. No, I think having your own income and having, I mean, having your own money means having independence. It means having power. It means having choices and you're not going to get an argument from me that there's anything bad about that. My mind is melting a little bit with all of the statistics, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the survey. I'm going to no, I'm going to look at this research. I mean, I like the research and I haven't seen yeah. this research, so I'm yeah, going to yeah. I'm going to take a closer look at it and I'm going to breathe and just remind everybody that conversations like this one would not happen without the support of our sponsor, Fidelity Investments, because Fidelity is focused on helping women, like all of us, take charge of our financial lives because we deserve to live the lives that we work so hard for, whether we are getting married or getting divorced or starting a new career. And you can visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Emma Johnson and a lot of information about how to manage money during life's biggest and most challenging events. Again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. And if you're looking for another podcast, check out one of our favorites. It's called Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. It's hosted by Al Letson. Reveal's team of reporters can spend months, sometimes years, digging to get to the truth. For instance, the show will take you back in time to 1971 to dig into the leaking and publication of the Pentagon Papers with a few people who were right there at the center of the story. You can find Reveal on Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher, or anywhere you love to listen to podcasts. You can learn more at revealnews.org. Pentagon Papers, so fascinating. I watched Frost Nixon again on cable the other day. I cannot get enough of all of that time in our history. Just just so interesting. But back to the conversation. Going through the experience that you went through and now having a thousand different blog posts on your site, I know that you've come 
out with a lot of advice for women who are going through divorce, who, who are thinking of going through divorce. And one of the things that you say is to just give up on the idea of alimony or even child support. Mm. I don't know that that's possible for everybody. So talk us through it. Well, you assume that there's money on the other side to be had, right? You assume that just because somebody wants needs more money in their accounts or for their household budget, that there's somebody out there where they could get that money, right? And that's not possible for most families. When women find themselves in a separated family situation, whether by divorce or breaking up with a partner or by choice, whatever the situation is, well, let's first let's tackle alimony. So alimony laws are really changing in every state. Yeah, and one of the most, and we don't even call it alimony anymore. Now we call it maintenance. Right, but let's even that that name is hilarious. Why should somebody else maintain your lifestyle? Right. Once upon a time, alimony was a huge feminist coup. Women did not have earning power. We didn't have the right to have a credit card until 1973. I mean, this is incredible, the strides that we have made as women in our, our access to capital, um, earning power, access to education, right? The world has drastically changed. I mean, I hear from a lot of women, from a lot of our listeners who are on the other side of the equation. They're not receiving it. They're paying it. Oh, yeah. And that's what's going to change alimony law is there <laughs> hell hath no fury <laughs> compared to a woman paying alimony. I mean, they are outraged and often shocked that that's happening because it's such a, I mean, really, it's a, a mark of feminist success. Really, if women are paying to support men's lifestyles and their story is not, you know what, he supported my career. He's entitled to this. Usually the story is he didn't pull his weight or he chose a lower paying career path by his choice or he could never get his financial act together. And I'm so angry that I have to support him now because I earned this money. And do men not feel the same way? About paying alimony? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, they do. And I know because I live in New York City and I date a lot of them. Which is a, which is a huge thing. Like men who pay alimony and child support like successful women that don't receive it. So how in your mind should it work? You say 50-50 custody. Yes. And how, and then how does it work? At, what sort of a financial arrangement is optimal if you want to have a good divorce? Everybody has their own income and embraces the lifestyle that that income affords them. So if you want a better lifestyle, it's amazing. You can do whatever you want in this world, ladies. Every shared custody because 54, and we will link to these 54 peer reviewed research papers show that shared custody, minimum 40% time with each parent is what is best for kids. Low conflict, shared custody, maximum time with both parents. You're maintaining two households. Nobody should be paying anybody else. Kids have out-of-pocket expenses. There's childcare is expensive, health insurance and costs are expensive, extracurriculars, camp. And should split you split those. those? Should you split them, or should you split them based on your earning power? I think that you should split them based on earning power. Um, but I can appreciate the argument that 50-50, right? Because it's 50% parents. But then you're going to be making decisions based on that. So camp, which camp do you send well, that the kids was, to? That was a question. If your child was in private school because as a couple or, or in a camp or in an athletic program, because as a married couple, you could afford that. And now you can't afford to split it 50-50 because one of you doesn't have that earning capacity is the, what do you do? 
Well, first of all, you have to be making decisions based on your new situation. You you know, you lived in a big house before. Now you have half the household income. You probably have to live in a smaller house. You're not entitled to anything based on your previous lifestyle. And that's just financial, I, nuts and bolts financial planning. What's in your bank account now? What's the expenses? What's your income? That's your budget. Same with the kids. They went to fancy school. They went to fancy camp. Maybe they don't get that anymore, and that's life. That is just part of life, and maybe there's some really wonderful financial lessons you can teach your kids. Now, if one parent is in a position to just front that, because that's important that the sports, the expensive sports program is a priority for them, and they can front that, and you agree on it as parents, uh, which is most likely because now your shared custody, the conflict statistically will be much, much lower then, of course, work that out. Just work it out like a couple of adults. So how are single moms faring when it comes to things like saving and investing? You talked a little bit about risk earlier in the Mm. conversation. Investing is a risk. Oh, absolutely. So, well, I discourage um, single moms from Googling um, the statistics about single moms. A lot of them are dated, (laughs) and they're usually pretty dire. And because the world is changing so quickly that our situation and our picture is improving very rapidly. But there's here's, I think, a very telling statistic. This was an alliance survey, and it was looking at all different kinds of families about uh, retirement savings and college savings. And needless to say, families are not saving as much for either one as they should. But disproportionately, families overall save too much for college when compared to what they should be saving for retirement. And single moms were especially prone to this, like dramatically so. So they're really ransoming their retirement for their kids' college. And I think that is very telling of some of the financial decisions that we make. And so my takeaway from that, and it's an estimation and a guess on my part, is that moms feel guilty because their kids are in these broken families. And I say that with sarcastic quotes around them. But here's the reality. Your kids after 18 are not legally your responsibility. And I don't even think morally your responsibility. And But you know what? Your moral responsibility to your children is your financial health. And if you are not taking care of your financial future, which is already statistically at risk because you are a single, maybe divorced woman, which who fare much worse than other demographics, your children are more likely to be taking care of you in your later years. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, there's there's a lot of research on caregivers, whether mm. we are giving care to older parents or whether we're taking care of kids who boomerang and leave us and come back. And people in that scenario believe that their kids will then have to take care of them, right. which is exactly what we're trying to avoid mm-hmm. by saying, please put money away for your own retirement before you put it away for college. Yes. And it's such a gift to your children to know, like, I have friends who know their parents are taken care of. And that is such a gift that you give to your children. So how do you talk these single moms out of doing that, out of putting college before retirement? Well, I like to tell stories and feature other people's stories on my podcast or my blog or in my book, Wealthy Single Mommy, all the time. I'm sorry, my book is The Kick-Ass Single Mom. And it is really, and I mean, I can test my story, you know? Yep. I put myself, my brothers and I put ourselves through college, and I'm very proud of that. And that was great. Like, that was fine. But my mom is not in a good financial position, and it creates so much stress for her grown kids who all now have their own families. 
And I'm just, I prioritize that in my life. And I talk to my kids about that, you know, because we're all financial journalists. We all have these talks with our kids and we have the allowance and the whole thing. And I tell my children all the time, I'm like, I am making a lot of decisions today so that you don't have to worry about me when I'm older. Now, there's no guarantees. I don't promise them anything, but I'm like every month I put money away so that when I'm older or maybe if I get sick, that I will be taken care of financially. Last question. So you mentioned all these guys that you're dating. Mm. Are you going to get married again? Oh, boy. Why would I do that, Jean? <laughs> you got remarried. I did. And I'm happy. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story I was just laughing about on the walk over here. I was just, uh, I, my kids and I watched Forrest Gump recently, and I was laughing about it with my boyfriend. And he, uh, we were laughing about that line when Forrest says, I'm sorry for ruining your Black Panther party. And then... We were talking about our relationship, and he was giving me a hard time because I always give him a hard – it's just I have a lot of commitment issues, and it's hard for me to be vulnerable. And then I have this very public platform about being a single mom, and we were ta- I was asking him how he felt about being part of this, and and he's kind of a little bit more traditional and commitment family-minded <laughs> and, and he said, I'm sorry for ruining your single mom party. <laughs> <laughs> So that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Well, it sounds, it sounds like there is more news to come in addition oh, to a book TBD, launch. TBD. All right. Emma Johnson, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for a great conversation. No, this was fun. Thank you, Jean. We're back, and there was a lot to parse in that conversation of some things I agree with, some things, as I said at the top, that I don't. Kelly is here with me in the studio. We're going to hash them out. Okay, first, let's talk about the study. I hadn't seen it at the time, but I have now. And Emma was absolutely right that it has all the markings of a good study. It was a very large sample size, 53 thousand adults, very qualified authors. The lead author on the study was a Harvard B School professor named Kathleen McGinn. And it does show exactly what she said, that having a working mother has a demonstrably positive impact on both daughters and sons. But here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't dismiss the benefits of stay-at-home parenting. And there is research on that side as well. The author, Kathleen McGinn, she was interviewed by Business Insider at the time of publication and said she was not suggesting that being a working mother is somehow morally superior. Here was what she said, and this is a quote. It's not that it's right or wrong for women to work. It's that there's a set of options that seem fully available. That is what bothered me about the conversation. It felt like we rewound the clock and we were in the 60s or maybe the 70s when public opinion was very, very heated about the fact that mothers should stay home with the kids. Look, I believe, and this is true particularly with the fact that we now have to fund our own retirements, pay for increased costs when it comes to health care every single year, that every adult is better off if they are able to earn a decent living and that this is important for women because the divorce rate is high and the wage gap is large and men tend to die first. But when you take choice out of the equation for mothers, for fathers, for Families who can make it work 
on one income financially, that just doesn't work for me. It is something that I know that I will keep thinking about. And if you're listening and you've got thoughts on this, this is something that we'll keep talking about. So drop us a line at jeanchatsky.com. Tell us what you thought of the conversation. Tell us what you thought of the interview. And because we like to keep our episodes at about a half hour, because I figure that's about the amount of time that I spend in my car or out for a run when I'm listening to a podcast. We had prepped some mailbag questions and a check-in with Hayden Helps because she's been very busy getting some of you your money back. <laughs> We're going to just release that as a bonus podcast later in the week. But for now, let me just say thanks for tuning in. We always want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. Thank you to Emma Johnson for a really intriguing conversation, and we'll talk soon.